WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. U.S. Representative Jim Banks gets booted from the January 6th Commission. Lawmakers announce listening sessions for redistricting, plus driving cards and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending July 23rd, 2021. Indiana Week in Review is made possible by the supporters of Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations and by Ice Miller, a full-service law firm committed to helping clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi rejected Indiana U.S. Representative Jim Banks for a seat on the House Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. The Speaker deemed Banks and Ohio Republican Jim Jordan inappropriate to serve on the committee. In a statement issued Wednesday, Pelosi said their presence could potentially damage the committee's integrity. It is one of several efforts to investigate what led to the insurrection and what happened that day. Banks responded in a written statement by calling Pelosi the most partisan figure in America today. He was one of 147 Republicans who voted to overturn the results of the 2020 election after the attack on the Capitol. Does this help or hurt U.S. Representative Jim Banks? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike O'Brien, John Schwannis, host of Indiana Lawmakers, and Nikki Kelly, State House reporter for the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting digital producer Lauren Chapman, filling in for Brandon Smith. Mike O'Brien, is this in some way the best outcome for Jim Banks? I don't think so. I mean, we, I guess we could have made him a martyr for a day for a news cycle, and then, then everybody forgets. I mean, he had the opportunity um, to have a national platform on kind of a relevant, on what is going to be, hopefully, well, not now, but what might have been a relevant discussion about what actually happened leading up to January 6th and why it, why it happened, including what Jim Banks wanted to talk about, which was making sure capital security is, is appropriately funded and enhanced so, this, so something like this never happens again. The idea that I mean, it, this could have been the plan all along. I mean, surely Nancy Pelosi knew because of whether it was Jim Jordan or Jim Banks, um, they were outspoken about this. The, Jim Banks is like in position; he's the fourth leader in the uh, fourth in line in the uh, in the uh, House Republican Caucus. Um, potentially, could be third. If, you know, we'll see what happens in the election next year. If, uh, they win the House; he's become a clear leader um, in that caucus. Uh, so she had to know who was coming. I mean, the fact that she said it was inappropriate. Um, that this was just a political stunt or, um, by, the, by the House Republicans. Mm-hmm. It's absurd. She put Adam Schiff on it. So now this gets to be, all, so now the Republicans are off, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's only Democrats. Mm-hmm. And now it gets to be the second version of the Adam Schiff show, who in t- 2018 led the, you know, Trump colluded with the Russians to steal the election panel, of which mm-hmm. produced zero, no evidence, which in 2019 after the election they stopped talking about it and then disclosed that they actually had no evidence of that, mm-hmm. of that uh, suggestion. So yeah. the, the whole thing's political. Of course it's political. I've I maintained all along that Republicans, I wish, would have leaned into this a little more because it was important that we have a conversation about what actually happened on January 6th. And now we're probably just going to have a political one. Yeah. Well, it was and important to have a conversation about it, but he had already made up his mind. He was one of the ones who voted against even recognizing the people's choice for president and then saying it's just tourism and then saying we ought to open it up to talk about disruptions in other cities. He was clearly, clearly a, a 
closed-minded trumpet. Does it help him? He can't appeal more to the radical right in the Republican Party. He's already there. In terms of everything else, if you were a, if you were a lawyer and he was a prospective jury member, you'd never pick him because he is completely closed-minded. And they need to have an open discussion of what happened. It wasn't a group of tourists that got a little out of hand. It was an insurrection. And they need to talk about what to do about it. And Jim Banks and Jordan are not the people to participate in it. And it was a stunt on the part of McCarthy to put him in there in the first place. So I think she's absolutely right to do what she did. And I hope that they can come up with some positive ideas about how to secure that bastion of democracy that the Republicans wanted to tear down. I mean, it is interesting, though, to keep in mind that uh, Jim Banks has won more than 64% of the vote in House District 3. So there is a question as to whether or not his, you know, the same statements and actions that Pelosi was criticizing are exactly what his constituents are looking for. Nikki? Oh, yeah. they clearly are, obviously. I mean, I cover Northeast Indiana for the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. So, yeah, I mean, he's not saying anything that his constituents don't agree with. I think it plays, plays great for him. He gets... A lot of national publicity for a couple days. I've already seen several new profiles on him and his burgeoning reputation for the conservative party. And so I think it works great for him. To be fair, though, I do th- I, I'm kind of sad that they didn't go forward it in, in the proper way with both Republicans and Democrats because obviously there are things going to come out about former President Trump and his role in that. But I do think there are fair questions about why the... Capitol Police clearly weren't ready for that day. And so I wish we could have heard or had a little more, I guess, guess faith in whatever was going to happen. Yeah. John, I mean, do you think in, in the grand scheme of things, especially with Banks's position, do you think this does kind of catapult him or uh, do you think this maybe hurts him? No, I think I agree. It probably does help him uh, given what his short-term goals are. And I presume he's running for re-election. Uh, I say that because if he were running for statewide office, uh, U.S. Senate, uh, or something that that requires perhaps more of a crossover appeal, then it might be more problematic. But in his district, which is solidly Republican, solidly conservative, solidly behind him, it doesn't hurt at all. And I do think because of the attention uh, and the fact that he was lumped together with Congressman Jordan, who is sort of the darling of, of a lot of the uh, the most conservative wing of the party, uh, that's sort of new street cred for him with that constituency. Oh, he already had the flake vote lined up. And so I do think for, for some of the national pundits and so forth, this helps put him on the radar in a way that they might go to him in the future and, and, uh, and raise his, uh, his profile. So I, th- I don't think it, it hurts him at all. I do wonder if the initial plan that was put forth, which was a bipartisan, a true bipartisan select committee, to look at these issues. I think had that had Republicans allowed that to proceed, they probably would have had more say over the membership, uh, ironically, than, than this way. Uh, and because in that case, I don't think Nancy Pelosi would have had free reign to, to say yes, no, yes, no. Mm-hmm. So I guess be careful what you wish for, or the, the paradox here that- They don't want- they don't want Okay, that's another question, report. but I was just saying they probably, could, if they had wanted these members to weigh in, they probably could have done that if they had agreed early on to a true bipartisan uh, select committee investigation. Yeah. Uh, Well, moving on, activists finished their 300-mile walk for licenses across Indiana Saturday. Movimiento Cosecha wants lawmakers to reverse policies that bar undocumented immigrants from getting driver's licenses.
Indiana passed a law in 2007, which tied driver's licenses, permits, and vehicle registration to citizenship and immigration status, aligning with federal legislation. Dara Marquez, a field organizer for Movimento Cosecha Indiana, says these policies target the ability of undocumented immigrants to live in their communities. And in the state of Indiana, the first step that this state can take is to push for a driver's license or a bill that will be able to grant um, the undocumented community to be able to drive without fear. There were two driving cards bills, license alternatives, introduced during the 2021 legislative session. The House version died without a hearing. The Senate version got a hearing for testimony but was not voted on. John Schwannis, uh, activists I spoke to on Saturday made several economic arguments for why uh, these driving cards could benefit Indiana. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, what makes this a tough sell for Republicans? Two different questions. Let's start with, <laughs> with why with, with the economic uh, aspect of this. These are generally people who pay taxes uh, and work and contribute to our community. In many cases, they are doing jobs that that. Uh, native-born Americans might not be so enthusiastic about. Mm -hmm. If you look at the, uh, whether it's the farming or agricultural uh, economy, which is a backbone still, along with manufacturing of our, our state's economy, as it is in many states, uh, it couldn't function, I don't think, without a, a lot of immigrant uh, workforce involvement. So to legitimize these individuals to be able to, to work and pay taxes, and then you get around to the notion of uh, who's counted in, you know, for redistricting. Uh, do you get a bigger slice of the pie in terms of federal dollars and federal aid? But, it, but that doesn't mean anything to people who oppose this. Uh, it's sort of like a needle exchange uh, argument. You know, you could make every doctor could sit here and the Surgeon General could explain why that makes sense for a community in terms of preventing the spread of disease, for instance. Uh, but there are people who just think it's wrong. Just don't, met, don't bother me with the ar economic argument. It's wrong. And I think you see a lot of the same thing here. They're here illegally. Why should they have any rights to, to go and pose for one of those beautiful BMV portraits like the rest of us? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it also, you know, it can't be understated that, you know, this law changed in 2007 in Indiana. So literally until recently, undocumented immigrants did have access to these driving cards. Nikki Kelly, you know, what what does make this a tough sell for Republicans? Well, obviously, I mean, the world has changed and, and sort of the issues with, you know, illegal immigrants and the border. So I, I just don't think any Republican is going to go anywhere near something that could in any way be seen as somehow supporting an unauthorized, you know, immigrant. They're just, they'll see it as them condoning it. And they're worried about the, you know, mailers that will come out and things like that. So, um, and, and I look, there are like 16 states that have this. They're mm -hmm. all pretty progressive and liberal. So just don't think we'll be seeing Indiana join that list anytime soon. Yeah. And Delaney, I mean, we're, we're talking about a population of people, you know, 60% mm -hmm. of which have lived in Indiana for more than 10 years. Right. Um, it's interesting to me, however, that Democrats haven't really picked up this torch from, from activists. I think they need to. Yeah. I really do think they need to, because a lot of the people we're talking about here are dreamers mm -hmm. who were brought here by their parents through no fault of their own, who want to get either an education or a job, and mm -hmm. we're stopping them for ideological reasons only. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're going to penalize the children because of whatever the parents' perceived well, sin and, might be. And the, the, the crime of entering the country illegally is a minor misdemeanor. Well, and on top of that, 
it seems to me nobody in their right mind would, would argue that our immigration system is anything but broken. And so the fact that we haven't been able to deal with this problem all through the Trump administration and before that is indicative of the fact that the federal government, Republicans included, have to get behind a sensible immigration policy that would allow a path to statehood or statehood to citizenship, especially for the dreamer children. But I, I, this is just way too harsh, and it's, it, it's ironic that it's happening at a time when I hear the administration in Indianapolis saying, we can't get people to fill these jobs, and yet we have people who probably want the jobs who can't get to the jobs because of their short-sightedness. You know, there was a time well, when some Republicans the supported the Dreamers. Richard Luger, the late yeah. Richard yeah. Luger, was, was a big right. advocate of that. Yeah. So, right. yeah. And I mean, it is to say nothing of you know the the fact that during the Trump administration, uh, a lot of deportations were folks who were picked up uh, and then eventually deported uh, were done did so because they were driving without a license. Yeah. I, I wonder. What would it take for well, that'd be an argument for Republicans today against? <laughs> yeah, it probably exactly. Would be. Um, if you're going to add to the list of reasons they they could be deported, yeah, you know, over if you look, John mentioned uh, Richard Luger's. Um, Attempts here. We used to actually be pretty progressive as a party on immigration reform. It wasn't that long ago. In George W. Bush's second term, he had Dan Burton carried a bill for the White House that provided a path to citizenship or, mm -hmm. or started down that, that path. Dan Burton. I mean, this is like no progressive, like, you know, moderate Republican. I mean, this is like one of the most conservative guys in the party, right, mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, not now. <laughs> Mitch Dan when I worked for Mitch Daniels um, in his first term, in the 2006 session, we prepared legislation to, to, do, to allow this, to, mm -hmm. to permit this. It was very close uh, to the legislation that was being proposed in the General Assembly today. We decided, for, not for policy reasons, we decided to focus on the lease of the toll road that session because mm -hmm. that was such a huge undertaking. We, we put a lot of stuff in the drawer for, for a later session. The real line, you, you, you can define a pretty stark line between like the Republican Party's more pragmatic relationship with immigration policy and you know, recognizing that there are millions of undocumented immigrants here and people who work in the workforce and people who are driving around. Anyway, they are driving to these jobs. They're just getting into car accidents because they can't get insurance, and now everybody's on the hook for it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's real economic reasons. But in 2006, when we lost the House, all of that went away. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these guys, you know, guys like you know, Burton and others kind of said, I never did that. Um, or I was never for that, um, and had to change their stripes pretty quick um, on immigration policy. And now we're, we're instead of being the path to citizenship, undocumented license, we're the build the wall party, and it's it, we're wildly far apart from where we started 20 years ago. I mean, even as recently though as John McCain uh, carried a, a path to immigrate or path to citizenship right. bill. Uh, what was it, 2012, I think. Uh, to to try and that encourage that. Kind of we're big um, allies on that, as a matter of and fact. He and he uh, Donald Trump were not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Who's a traitor or an American hero? But do I know yeah, where you, yeah, where you yeah, are in the yeah. party right now? Well, we know who the <laughs> traitor is, and it wasn't John McCain. <laughs> Moving on, lawmakers announced a series of public meetings across the state for Hoosiers to provide feedback on Indiana's redistricting process. Each of Indiana's nine congressional districts will host a meeting in early August ahead of lawmakers' expected return to the State House. The public meetings are being hosted at Ivy Tech campuses in Lafayette, Valparaiso, Fort Wayne, Elkhart, Anderson, Columbus, Evansville, and Sellersburg on August 6th and 7th. The last will be hosted at the Indiana State House on August 11th. Census data is delayed due to the pandemic, but it is set to be released on August 16th. And lawmakers say an online portal with mapping software will be launched in late August to allow the public to draw and submit their own maps. 
Nikki Kelly, you wrote about redistricting earlier this month. You know, how does this compare to 2011's redistricting process? Uh, they did. They did have these statewide meetings then, and um, I think they were pretty helpful then. I think we're at a little bit of trouble this year, and um, House Democrat leader Phil Giacquinas sent something out just a couple hours yeah. ago saying, look, it's one thing to have a bunch of people come and say, here's how we would like to see maps. But without the data, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just theoretical. It's sort of, if I could dream up a great map, it would include these criteria. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's a fair question to be had about when we're going to see the actual maps mm -hmm. and then who's allowed to testify them. Like, are we just getting one hearing at the State House? You know, that mm -hmm. they when they release them the night before, because mm -hmm. that's that would be pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I do think people need to be able to review the actual proposed maps when they are, be able to see, you know, what communities they cut through and, and make suggestions to those specifically. So we'll see. Um, when I've chatted with uh, people on that, they seem very not sure about the process after these initial hearings. Yeah, so, and so the online, like, Choose Your Own Adventure portal that they're uh, putting out in the end of August, you don't think that that'll be the, the thing that will work the best for... Well, I mean, that's a great thing yeah. to have this data and, so and mapping, but until I see what the, the bill they put mm -hmm. out, you know, it's, again, it's having discussions without the actual bill. Mm -hmm. And so we need to see what the proposals are for people to truly be able to you know, comment on them and not hold a hearing, throw out a big amendment, and then vote it through. Yeah. It's not like the budget. We kind of back into the budget that way, though, too. Agencies come in, people get it in front of ways and means, they make requests, and then, then we figure out how much money we have, and we kind of back those, those suggestions into that, yeah, into that gonna, budget. They're going to do this the same way they did 2011. They're going to have the hearings, and then they're going to pick the maps that are going to guarantee every Republican incumbent re-election. That's what they're going to do. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't, well, not, you may cut out one or two of them, but you have a lot to spare. Sure. Because you have 71 of the uh, of them, even though you don't get 71% of the vote. Well, we got 70% so, of the gubernatorial vote. Last year, but oh, yeah. not of Because you're exceptionally year. bad yeah. at this yeah. as Democrats. Well, in any event, you have, uh, what they're going to do is the same thing they did in 2011. Mm -hmm. And this is all show, and that's all it is, which is why you don't have the maps before, mm -hmm. because they don't want to have fair maps. They want to have maps that, where the legislators can pick their voters. I think the mistake is uh, hearings don't necessarily equal uh, nonpartisan maps. I mean, there's not that equate, not formula. So you could have, theoretically, one 10-hour hearing in every county on the courthouse square in all 92 counties. And, I mean, hours of testimony. You could transcribe it. You could give it, you know, make every member read it. Mm -hmm however you would do that. But guess what? When all is said and done, so what? Uh, the fact, the mere fact that there are hearings, while it's certainly good for democracy and it's cathartic, I guess, for people who want to weigh in on the issue, mm -hmm. when all is said and done, they, really, pick their own they probably could pick their own constituents. And, I mean, that's, and, and, and both I parties would, would probably do that. Exactly, yeah. I will say one little tiny thing. It, it doesn't bode well when they south, uh, one of the south meetings is in Anderson. Mm -hmm. So... So I mean, if you're that's North, any if you're idea in, of what kind of If you're of in North Anderson, you, you think that, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, that it, what is that, District 5 uh, or that wraps around uh, Indianapolis on the outside? I mean, I mean Mike O'Brien, I'm, I'm curious. We've heard calls for transparency from um, redistricting reform advocates for a while, I mean, basically since 2011. Do you think that this is a step in the, the right direction for transparency from uh, General Assembly <laughs> you Republicans? You know he's going to say yes. <laughs> 
I mean, gee whiz, here's a softball, Mike. I don't know. I don't know how it can be more transparent. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, I mean, look, one, I don't think this is just a guessing game, and we're just waiting for this magic book of data that's going to be handed to, like, map drawers in, in September, right? Mm -hmm. we, do, we, we know where populations have grown and where they've shrunk. We know where, Demo where we know where people have moved and where where, where they moved from, mm -hmm. moved to and mo moved from every year. I mean, we we have to we have to, we have to do this for property tax. We have to do this for other things, um, at, at local and state and state government. So this isn't some like, you know, box with a question mark on it that we're going to be that we're going to be handed in, in September and then we're going to understand how to draw these districts. I do think, as I always remind everyone, we have seen a fundamental shift since Barack Obama in how people vote in Indiana. We see people in Southern Indiana who voted Democrat since Reconstruction vote Republican. Almost exclusively, which is why, which Actually, has contributed to, which is, Obama. okay. Well, we won in two thousand. We won the house. In so we won the we won in the House of Representatives, uh, the Indiana House of Representatives in two thousand ten on Democrat drawn maps. We won by a twenty seat majority, and we added to that after Democrats left the state and went to Illinois in protest of uh, of. Of right to work, mm -hmm. that was why they lost and haven't and haven't back. Yeah, and, then these, then, then, the and then the lines were redrawn, and the and the outcome was the same. This wasn't no. Th this the outcome, the seventy-one The makeup of this general assembly has spanned two redistrictings. Mm -hmm. It's probably yeah. bigger than that, though, because you look at southern states in the United States that were reliably Democratic. They right. were different, 100%. kind of different yeah. ilk. Uh, but that was what was Nixon. It was the uh, sort of the. Uh, or I mean Johnson, where he it was basically a civil rights act. He, he said gave, we lose he, it for, for a generation. Exactly. It was wrong. It was 50, right. 60 well, years. Right. But, that's but I just right. think there's so the, many factors. The Voting Rights Act was going the to thing I'm, not, I'm not arguing the motivation. I'm just arguing what happened. Like yeah. this isn't like theoretical. Right. This right. Is, that is what happened after 2008. He had the worst. Barack Obama had the worst midterm of any sitting president in history, <laughs> and that benefited Indiana, a conservative state, and it has not gone back. Well, it yeah. is time now for our viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, will the redistricting public meetings be enough to ensure transparency as lawmakers redraw legislative district maps? A, yes, or B, no. Last week's question, if COVID-19 cases continue to rise as the Delta variant spreads in Indiana, will state officials ever again impose statewide COVID restrictions? 40% of you said yes, and 60% said no. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. The Indiana Board of Education recently approved accreditation for two new virtual schools, the state's first-ever private virtual schools. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Jeannie Lindsay reports the schools, Faith Prep, with ties to the Columbus Christian School and GeoFocus Academy affiliated with a charter school operator in Gary and Indianapolis, both plan to participate in the school voucher program. GEO Foundation President Kevin Teasley says despite the new academy being a private school, he wants it to be free. Well, the goal is that it's not going to cost the student anything. We're going to have the voucher from the state of Indiana, and then we're going to raise scholarships to make up the other 10%. Teasley says students will start out in the virtual school but enroll in college courses by the time they hit high school. The board approved accreditation for the two new schools after the Indiana Department of Education recommended it approve the requests. And Delaney, Indiana has had some issues with virtual schools in recent years. Are you surprised at all that they moved forward with uh, private you know, virtuals? This is the Republican playbook. Uh, 
outsource everything. Outsource everything. Take civil service jobs and give it to somebody who will pay 10 bucks an hour without benefits. This is a perfect example. We lost, we lost, well, this is why redistricting matters, because when they have super majorities, they can do <laughs> this kind of stuff Sorry. with impunity. But we lost somewhere between 70 and $100 million of taxpayer money, because there's no oversight on this, and what they do is they wind up giving contracts to their family members and their friends at ridiculous prices, wasting state money, and they're doing it again. And they're doing it, you know, you, what's the definition of an insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? This is what's going to happen. This will be the next FBI investigation when this is all done. And it is incredible to me that the supermajorities in the House and the Senate can get away with this kind of transfer of state assets to private people without well, adequate supervision. Well, this was also approved by the Indiana Department of Education. So what? That's, that's, that's Mitch. And that, that issue that's, has been litigated yeah. through the Indiana court system. I, I understand the Indiana Supreme Court said it wasn't giving to churches. Oh. I understand that. I disagree with that decision, oh, but I understand that. Out the but nonetheless, that the Indiana Supreme Court didn't say you can go ahead and steal money from the taxpayers and have framed, no active, framed, adequate supervision. That exactly. No, and that's what's happened in the past, and what we're doing is doing it again. It's crazy. Mike O'Brien, um, I'm a little curious, you know, with the, uh, the, move, the move from an elected state superintendent to uh, an appointed uh, head of the Indiana Department of Education, do you think that this is an extension of historically Republican governors, um, you yes. know, continuing these kinds of policies? 100%. That was the whole point. It was to take away an elected superintendent of which the governor was already conceivably getting politically you know, supported or blamed for, for the outcome, and moving it into the administration so that the Department of Education administers the governor, the elected governor's priorities in, in education and, it, and administers the General Assembly's, uh, the laws that the General Assembly has passed. I, told, I don't disagree. We had a huge problem with, uh, with this situation in, in Daleville or wherever mm -hmm. it was. Um, that doesn't mean that we just, we just go, well, it didn't work. Daleville illegally took advantage, so virtual schools aren't a thing anymore. Oh, so how are we, gonna we, have IU, we have IU <laughs> just put one online. Purdue's had one now for years. Yeah, and this, IU this doesn't is a, charge, this is a new, and they don't take vouchers. This is, this is right. a new way to do this. <laughs> well, that is it for this week. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike O'Brien, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and Nikki Kelly of the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or on the WFYI app. I'm Lauren Chapman of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time, because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Indiana Week in Review is made possible by the supporters of Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations and by Ice Miller. Ice Miller is a full-service law firm committed to helping clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. The opinions expressed are solely those of the panelists. Indiana Week in Review is a WFYI production in association with Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations.